you're not just looking to optimize for a cost per click to try to get great clicks in, which is not perfect because I can drive a ton of clicks with like a really engaging ad that has nothing to do with the company. So having great cost per click doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a good cost per conversion too. You're listening to Data Unlocked, driving better marketing with better data. We're interviewing marketing leaders to discuss how they're using customer data to bring more deeply personalized experiences to market. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Data Unlocked podcast. In this podcast, we explore the ways in which data drives creativity and innovation for marketers. And we explore that with the best and brightest in the industry. My name is Jason Davis, founder and CEO of Simon Data, a growth platform driving smarter marketing for brands like JetBlue, TripAdvisor, Equinox, and BarkBox. I'm excited to have our guest, Eric Huberman, on our podcast today. Thanks for joining us. Eric, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and about Hawk Media? Sure. So I started a company called Hawk Media about eight years ago. We're basically an outsourced CMO and marketing team to companies. So going to brands, identify holes in their marketing strategy or org, and then can spin up different experts a la carte month to month. So a Facebook marketer, email marketer, web designer, fractional CMO, et cetera. We've got about 320 full-time people. We run marketing for about 600 brands currently and just came out with a book called The Hawk Method, which is really our marketing methodology, one of the first prints. So yeah. Great. And I see for our listeners, you can buy the, the book on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Amazon, Walmart, Target, anywhere. Books are sold even our own site, hawkmethod.com, et cetera. That's fantastic. Yes. Yeah, so let's sort of dive into things, Eric. Uh, we spent some time the other day talking about some of the you know, central challenges and opportunities around data. You know, ultimately, you know, as uh, you know, an agency from your position you know, that really comes in and uh, you know, owns the strategy in addition to the execution, uh, you know, data you know, manifested in, in multiple ways. But really, at the end of the day, the most powerful way of really enabling data in an organization is that of establishing a North Star. Uh, yep. you know, and today, we just wanted to really you know, talk around this, this topic of what is the proper North Star you know, you know, for you know, today's brands uh, you know, who are looking to be fully customer-centric, uh, and what does that look like? And I think within this, you know, we'll be getting into what did things look like five years ago, 10 years ago, and 20 years ago for brands that were brick and mortar, you know, brands that were focused on SEO. Uh, and really, when you look at uh, you know, some of the, the, the best and brightest and most successful customers that you work with today, uh, you know, what does that process look like of establishing those, those key metrics and, and, and really how do they drive success? Sure. Yeah. I mean, listen, there's, there's a ton, but I would say, you know, speaking to the North Star, the, the same numbers that have been true, I, I actually don't know when these came into play, but it's been decades and decades, is just your CAC to LTV ratio. So how much does it cost you to acquire a customer? And how much do you make in a lifetime value of that customer? That number is what every private equity firm is going to want to know if there's, you're selling the company. That is definitely a North Star because it tells you, can you profitably grow your business? And how much money do you make when you're acquiring customers? Like that, it's, it's very rudimentary in some senses too. But if you want to simplify it into one number that matters, it's that number. And so, because that, that really will indicate, can you build something sustainably? So, Eric, maybe we can talk about some of the, the operational challenges within this because, look, like yeah. if, you know, if I'm a performance marketer and I go onto Facebook or to Google, uh, yeah. you know, and I spend you know, a thousand bucks a day on ads, you know, they're not going to show me these numbers. Uh, no, you know, they're going to show me conversion rates, and they're not even that. Data. Not even that anymore. That's the issue. That's where we've actually hit so many problems the past year with Facebook is because of the iOS changes. They used to show you accurate conversion rates, at least decently accurate, because they had a 28-day tracking window. And this, we talked about a little of this before, but the biggest metric that people miss is their purchase cycle. By far, the biggest metric that people don't talk about, even when I have this conversation with people, 
Then I circle back and go, do you guys know your purchase cycle? Oh yeah, we're still getting to that. And it's like the most critical number in your marketing purchase cycle, just to define it, is from the first time someone becomes aware you exist, whether it's an ad or word of mouth or whatever, to the time they buy, what is that time period? So that you can actually measure with that time period. If you don't have that time period, and I spend 10000 or you said $1,000 a day on marketing. Well, if I go look at the results of it two days later, but my purchase cycle is a month, well, those results are going to look horrible. And so I'm going to go, oh, I guess Facebook doesn't work for me. Hear this all the time. And you know, I'm going to turn it off and cut off my nose to spite my face because I have no idea what data I'm looking at. And so you have to incorporate that purchase cycle into how you're looking at it. And Facebook doesn't do a good job of tracking that, even that piece. It, it actually, all that Facebook can tell you right now is what's your cost per click? Sure, that's fine. Facebook currently has a seven-day tracking window for conversion. And in seven days, we see for a $50 average order value uh, in e-commerce, the average purchase cycle is uh, three weeks. So already you're literally only seeing the first week of three for a half-life of your conversion rate. So that you're you're not getting the data there. But that's for 50 bucks. For a hundred bucks, it's five weeks. For 200 bucks, it's six weeks. And it can go up to between two and three months for a, uh, an impulse buy. And so if you're not measuring over that period of time, which there are a lot of tools like Glue and other tools that we use to do this, you're just looking at that first week performance. And if you're not just looking to optimize for a cost per click to try to get great clicks in, which is not perfect because I can drive a ton of clicks with like a really engaging ad that has nothing to do with the company. So having great cost per click doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a good cost per conversion too. But assuming that that's that's really all you can optimize directly in the Facebook channel, as well as I guess early purchases. If you're going for quick purchases, you can. But I I would say that that's probably a bad strategy because getting people to buy quickly doesn't necessarily mean you're getting good customers. And again, if lifetime value is the North Star, along with CAC, then if you you need to drive in quality customers that are going to stick around, buy more, keep coming back, et cetera. Got it. So maybe we can talk a bit about, uh, you know, really just, you, know, you spent the last few minutes talking about purchase, you know, purchase cycles. Mm-hmm. You know, so I click and I buy three weeks later on average. Uh, right. But really when you look at LTV, it's not just a matter of what I buy or if I right. buy, but you know, do I buy a second time and a third time and do I buy in a continuous fashion? And, uh, you know, even with, yeah, even putting the iOS changes aside, uh, you know that that, rep, that that present uh, you know really just operational challenges or technical challenges for Facebook uh, or Google for that matter. You know, there's still you know measurement you know gaps around actually computing this number, which you say is so foundational. Yet yeah, it's still so hard to actually even you know get visibility into from you know today is the most popular you know ad you know bidding you know platforms on the market. Yeah. And I would say it it really is about with most of these, it's not, it's art and science, meaning like it's not getting it perfect is impossible. The the way I would point, like explain that is like attribution has been this hyped up thing in marketing forever. And the problem with attribution is it's not perfect. It's kind of like, it's a good way to understand, you want to understand how you're attributing and attribution is usually defined as how are you tr- attributing a sale to which marketing channels? Like how much did Facebook contribute to that versus email marketing versus Google? And the issue we deal with is if someone clicks a Facebook ad and then a Google ad and then buys through an email, what is, what do you, how much of that do you attribute to Facebook, Google, or email? Like what would be your answer? Yeah. I mean, it all depends on how it impacted the customer experience and, uh, yeah. you know, and- what role it played in the purchase. 
And my, and my answer would be a hundred percent of all of them because it took all of those to convert a customer. And so people get into these models where it's like, well, let's say it's 33% Facebook, 33% Google, 33% email. It's arbitrary, frankly. And however you want to measure that to define how you're going to optimize is fine. But chasing that is where people get in trouble because they start, they, they make up their own definition of attribution. Every company does like this is not, there is no science to this piece. And this is what I mean by art versus science. They make up their own definition and then they forget that they made up their own definition. So they start reading this as gospel and they're like, well, it says that Facebook's only accounting for a third of our sales. It's like, that's because you plugged in that number, <laughs> like just to right. be clear. And so it, when you're looking at all of these, it's figuring out how to get the data set up as good as possible. So back to the purchase cycle, you're not necessarily going to be able to track the first time everyone hears about your brand because a lot of it's word of mouth, which is a whole nother data point. We like to look at K factor. What's the viral coefficient? How many people are bringing other customers with them? And so that's an important one. You're not going to know that. So we start to track just what are those first points that you can track, like an email submission or a tech or a phone number submission to the company, the first time you collect data or the first time they see an ad on Facebook. But again, that's even hard to track because tracking that person, the first time they see an ad, you don't have them. The first time they click an ad, now they're on your site, you might be able to track them. But if cookies go away, this is where that gets also complicated. So it really becomes when do you collect some first party data on the person to when they buy. And you know that that's under reporting because you know that by the time they gave me an email address, they probably have seen us more than once and that probably wasn't instant. Sometimes it's instant, but on average, it's not gonna be instant. And so if it's not instant, you know that whatever number that is, let's say that says two weeks, you know that it's more than two weeks. Your purchase cycle is at least outside of that. And those are the kind of things that it's like, again, not perfect, but at least you have good indicators on what, what it can be. And you do have a great piece of data, which is, okay, so now on average, I know when I collect an email address or a phone number, it'll take that person two weeks to buy. And during that two weeks is really critical. So it's those kind of things you have to think through. Yep. Uh, and it's also worth noting that you know, as a top-level KPI, if you're just trying to you know, gauge efficiency of the business, you, you can compute your CAC to LTV ratio without having to look at any attribution measures at all. Uh, you just look at you know, how much money you're spending on you know, top of funnel uh, and, and, and paid in your marketing efforts. Uh, you divide that by uh, the LTV across, uh, across your customers. What becomes tricky is really then actually understanding what's moving the needle, you know, what's effective and what's not. Yep, exactly. And again, being one important part of running a business marketing is reading between the lines of data and like taking a step back and going, okay, so this is all the data points I have, but like, what does this actually mean? Because if you just read from data, I've watched it happen so many times where it's like people love to be data driven and it's, it's data driven, not data absolute, I guess is the point where it's like, okay, so what does this mean? And there are so many times that I've looked at someone's data. I'm like, wait a second, this this is wrong. Like this data is wrong. And I can tell you because these two don't add up. Like you have to, if you're not thinking about it, a good example of this, actually, here's a data driven decision for you. We were working with a company that all of a sudden overnight, their uh, conversion or their, their daily revenue dropped seven eighths. Like literally just fell off a cliff, just boom. And no one's buying their shit anymore. And they spent, and I didn't get pulled into this till a month into it. They were yelling at our Facebook team. Facebook ads are broken. You got to fix them. You got to fix them. You got to fix them. And I'm listening to that and finally I get pulled in and they're like, hey, we're trying to fix Facebook, but it's just, we're not getting the conversion anymore. I'm like, what's the cost per click on Facebook? And whatever it was, it's a dollar 30. What was it a month ago? A dollar 30. Okay. Did we change targeting? Not really. Did we change anything else? No. Okay. So we're hitting the same cohort of people that were converting great before. They're now not converting at all, basically. And the cost hasn't changed, but supposedly the 
cost to acquire customer has gone up 8x. Okay. Sounds like it's not Facebook. <laughs> Facebook's numbers are all exactly the same. Let's go. How's their website? Their website's the same, is it? Let's go do a site uh, audit on them. We ran a site audit. Turned out the site speed had dropped 3x. So all of a sudden, it was taking people like nine seconds to load each page on mobile. And so, yeah, they pulled up an ad, they clicked it like they always were. And then it, they were sitting there for nine seconds looking at a blank screen and they were getting off. And so it was all site speed, but they went, oh, our CAC is wrong. Facebook. It's like, again, the data did say their CAC was screwed up. They tried to fix it in the wrong place. Nothing was wrong with that data decision, but how they read it. Yeah, no. And, and, and site speed is, you know, you know, for anyone listening today is, you know, has a dedicated tab in Google Analytics. Yeah. Uh, you know, exactly. It's funny. I, I reflect back, you know, I, I always... Uh, you know, ha- having spent some time at Google over over a decade ago, uh, you know, my thesis on Google's products is, you know, obviously they're very much influenced by what Google does well, uh, and also by yeah. their, you know, their sort of self interest relative to their advertising products. Yeah. Uh, you know, but you know, when I was at Google, uh, and I'm sure it's the same today. Uh, you know, every tenth of a second, uh, or even you know, you know, 50 milliseconds that they could shave off, or 10 milliseconds they could, they could shave off of uh, the response time for search would increase ad revenues and and, and click rates materially. So. Uh, you know, it's a great anecdote. And, you know, to your point, it's, you know, this is one of like, you know, 30 things or more uh, that can really sort of drive variability. Yep. No, hundred percent. And it, that's the thing is it's learning all these different moving parts. I mean, that's literally what the book's about is like, let's start with a high level. Like, is it awareness, nurturing or trust that you're screwing up? Like, and the, there's all sorts of data around or data points to look at for that. And then you go down a level of like, which channels are we leveraging? What are we doing right? What are, whether it's site speed, whether it's email marketing, whether it's SMS, whether it's content, whether it's Facebook, Google, whatever it is, there's all different reasons that these can be, there's indicators for all of them. But I usually, like you did mention in the very beginning, start with the North Star and then break it down from there. Like, okay, is our cactus TV good? If it's good, then just scale. Like that's honestly, like people miss that part too. Is like, the numbers are good, go. Like, like you, because it doesn't last forever either. Yep, no, hundred uh, percent. Maybe we can spend a few minutes just digging into, uh, you know, some of the other views into metrics that drive customer centricity. And uh, you know, before we sort of you know get too deep in the weeds, Eric, you and I were talking a bit about you know some historical context here before the show. Uh, you know, and I, I find it very interesting. You know, I think our listeners will, will, will enjoy just hearing a bit of retrospective around. You know, what did the world look like? You know, twenty or thirty years ago around you know KPIs and you know and key business metrics. It's not as if you know with the internet you know came you know metrics that people used to, to drive their businesses. But you know, really, if you look back to, to retail um, yep. you know, either today or certainly you know before e-commerce, one of the key metrics that folks used to drive their business was revenue per square foot. Yeah. You know, so, you know, you're opening up a store, you know, it's, yeah. you know, 3,000 square feet. Uh, you know, your rent is whatever, $20 a square foot. Yeah. Uh, I need to make sure that you're making at least, you know, $150 a square foot. Uh, you know, and that is really sort of the metric that you optimize for. So where does this, yeah. where does the inventory go? You know, how do you make sure that the checkout lines are, are short enough so that you're actually getting the right flow, um, you know, right volume and velocity of, of, of purchases. And, um, you know, and, and this is an efficient, this is, this is a, a very you know, efficient metric if you're trying to make sure that your retail footprints, you know, are profitable uh, and viable. Yep. No. Sure. And, and yeah. And that that is, I'd say that's still an important metric. I mean, I've still heard, you know, Lululemon and Apple were, I think, it broken the records. It's I don't know which one's winning right now, but they were both doing the best per square foot. And if you look, like Apple stores are hilarious in that sense because like they're wide open and like they don't get like 
massive efficient use of their space. It's like the reason they do is because they put a display product out there and then everything else is in the back. And so they're able to make these open spaces versus Lululemon more looks like a typical space. They just frankly have expensive stuff that people really want and seem to buy a lot of. So it's still an important metric. I mean, retail, like brick and mortar purchases pre-COVID, it was about 13% of consumer purchasing was online, 87% in store. That spiked to 30% during COVID. And now it's settled around, you know, high 20s. So it hasn't subsided at all. People have gotten used to buying online, but the majority of purchases are still done in store. So, and the, and the reason that metric is so important is it, the, the cost of a store is the store. It's the real estate and, and the staff and all that, but that's all the costs that you'd have either way. So you have to look at the real estate and then go, okay, how much money can I make off this real estate? Assuming most retail if it's not direct to consumers functioning around seven or sorry, 50% gross margins. So if 50% gross margins, we need to be at certain, you know, revenue per square foot. And like looking at that as one of your North stars to maximize how you build out your store is an important thing. Yeah. Uh, I'd argue though with that with Apple walls, certainly I'm sure they're looking at revenue per square foot as a KPI for their business. Uh, yeah. They're looking much more closely at customer LTV as a KPI for their business. Totally. You know, one of the reasons why they're so efficient, you know, and same with Lululemon, probably to a lesser extent. Obviously Lululemon has a, a big digital footprint, but certainly not to the extent of Apple. You know, but you know, one reason why they're able to get that kind of efficiency is because they have such customer loyalty. The customers, as soon as they step foot in the store, have already spent, you know, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of dollars with the brand over the last yep. decade. You know, which is pretty unique. <laughs> Lego other. actually talks about this. Lego considers their they have their own retail stores now and they're not uh revenue generators. They track on uh customer satisfaction. Their employees are apparently are instructed to give away free Legos and just make the brand better. And that's what they're there for. So you're right. There's many other ways that they measure it, but I'm just looking. Apple had in 2017, it was $5,546 per square foot they were making in revenue in their stores. And there's no rent that comes close to that that I know of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 100%. Um, you know, and then I guess the other metric that you know, maybe is sort of worth you know, revisiting is there are, you know, if I look at sort of web, a lot of web 1.0 brands that were, the, were, that were effectively built on the back of, uh, of Google, you, yep. know, you know, these brands really will look very heavily at return on ad spend uh, or more specifically, uh, you know, really just their conversion rate relative to, you know, organic search traffic. Yep. Uh, you know, and while, yeah, there may be some desire to be customer centric. Uh, you know, I remember with you know, you know, I was at a conference for my last, uh, my last business was an ad tech product. You know, for retail, I met you know the guy, you know this guy who founded a business, Gloves.com. Yeah. Uh, and you ask the question like, why would you create a business called Gloves.com? Like, you know, is it is it to be customer centric because this is where I go for all my gloves needs? I was talking yeah. about his inventory. You know, he sold you know ski gloves, he sold leather driving gloves, and he also sold you know like white gloves to play the bells, you know, and whatever the church you know, bell yeah. group are. Pretty diverse you know, set of inventory, and really the reason why he created this business. Uh, with this sort of you know, you know somewhat unusual uh, you know product lineup was because he just you know, was able to arbitrage the you know the Google you know search traffic. You know, yep. He got great SEO. He got a ton of traffic. Uh, you know, whenever anyone typed you know ski gloves or uh, leather driving gloves, he'd be up there on the first page, and you yep. know, and he'd make his revenue. And 
And you know, did, you know, a business like this, are they focusing much on LTV? He might track it, you know, but he's a lot more concerned on what kind of placements he's getting yep. on his uh, SEO and his, uh, and his search traffic. One, to that point, a few things. One, relying on SEO for your entire business is, we know both know this, like it's devastating because Google changes their algorithm all the time and you're screwed. It until it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> and then you go out of business because you have no other backup plan. You haven't diversified. So like diversifying in marketing is critical. Like you have to treat it like a stock portfolio. If you go all in on one thing, you're, you're probably going to fail at some point. A lot of people went all in on Facebook the past decade and they're, Oh, I know a lot of companies that are screwed the past year because they can't figure it out. That being said, I just went to gloves.com and he's pivoted to be more like nylon and latex gloves. Um, so obviously the ski glove kind of market, it didn't work. Like it worked, maybe it worked temporarily, but we see this a lot with these types of businesses when you don't build, as you put it, a, a customer centric business. Yeah, he could do maybe at a period when he could get a bunch of free traffic, you can build a business around that. The moment that shifts, now you're scrambling to change your entire business model. You haven't built any real enterprise value that actually is sustainable in the business. Like the business is not that, it's not going to continue for the next decades, which you're putting in the work. Why not build a business that way? And you end up having to pivot into things like this. And the issue is <clears throat> with products like this, they'll, people might come back and buy them over and over again because it's latex and d- disposable. But if I go to a site and buy ski gloves, there's no reason I'm going to go back there to buy my mountain biking gloves. Like it's just, that's again, when SEO works great, but then if, when that falls off, you're done versus if let's say I'm selling ski gloves, sell other ski apparel, sell skis, sell everything that around skiing, sell lift tickets, like get as much share of my wallet as you can. Again, we're going back. Like this isn't like a debate night. I do debate. I'm not talking about you, but in general, I debate this with clients sometimes where it's like, I'm not here to debate that lifetime value is an important metric. It is. You can run your business on it or not. You're just giving, causing yourself more pain if you don't. Yep. No, 100%. Great. And maybe you know, we can sort of touch on one more quick topic. I know we're sort of bumping up on time here, but uh, you know, we had talked uh, the other day about uh, you know, some other sort of core drivers of LTV in particular, how you think about going from first to second to third purchase and, you know, and, and metrics around net dollar retention. Maybe you can talk about those for a few minutes and, you know, and, and, and how, you know, and, and how our, our listeners might want to, you know, sort of orient to that. Which metrics are you broke up slightly? Uh, net, net dollar retention. Yeah. I mean, so that's a number that's come up a lot more recently. The net dollar retention, how much money are you growing your customers once they come in with you? And that's, again, that's more subscription model. So it depends on your business, but a lot of SaaS companies are using this now. And it's when you get someone in, how much of that money is, are they growing or declining with you? Basically, are they, are, are they finding ways to spend more money with you? And it goes back to how have you built your product or service or that you can get an increase in spending over a period of time, because we're seeing really good SaaS companies have over a hundred percent net dollar retention. Meaning like we, I mean, we have one right now that is, I think 283%. And the reason is companies sign up with them early and then grow with them. And so the average customer is growing almost three X over the course of, they use a year over the course of a year, their average customer is actually spending three times as much as they came in spending because of their growth with the company and the way their platform is built to grow revenue as the company grows. 
and for e-commerce brands as well, I mean, you know, looking back at you know, looking back at last year, you, know, you can look at you know, the total revenue coming into the year from existing customers. Uh, you know, yep. and then you know, look at everything they purchased over the year, uh, and then compare that to the you know, total volume of purchases for the broader business. Uh, you know, yep. that will get some indication around you know, what you know, how much of 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 of, of sales and uh, revenue are coming from existing customers. You know, yep. you know extending LTV and you know, and you know, versus how much is coming from net new. What is, yeah, that's a very important metric to look at too, because if you're getting all your business from your existing customers, it's a good sign because that means they're happy with you. It's a bad sign because over time, your customers will churn. It's just by nature, like they will churn. And so if you're not doing enough to drive in new customers along with that retain, retention and growth from existing customers, you're going to have issues at some point. And so it's actually a great, you know, you might just look at your revenue and go, oh, our revenue is great. But if you're not doing those things to sort of fill the top of the funnel, you're going to end up in pain down the road. And so that's, again, yeah, another important metric to look at. Great. Um, you know, well, you know, now we're, we're definitely sort of at, at the top of our time here. Uh, you know, but, you know, but thank you for coming on the podcast today and you know, sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, really, when I sort of reflect on, on the conversation, you know, and the opportunity around proper metric-driven development, it's, it's really about, you know, as I said, you know, when we kicked it off, defining that North Star. Uh, you know, if you're able to align the business around you know, things that will ultimately define the brand uh, and really enable your customers to orient to your, your business and your brand with true purpose, uh, you know, the results can be transformative. Uh, yeah. But for this to work, you know, you need to start in a singular place. You need to have those right set of supporting metrics to ladder up across the entire company customer life cycle from acquisition downstream to engagement uh, and continued retention uh, and everything needs to, to work in coordination in pursuit of a singular goal. Um, yeah, yeah. So with that, uh, you know, Eric, maybe you can sort of talk a bit uh, about, you know, you know, to any of our, our, our listeners today who want to learn more about, uh, you know, Hawk Media and what you guys do. Yeah. I mean, I would say the book's probably the easiest way on Amazon and all those. So Hawk Method. And then uh, feel free to reach out. It's just hawkmedia.com. We're happy to talk to anyone, look at their business. And then I'm on all socials at adder slash Eric Huberman. Great. Uh, you know, and thank you to everyone listening uh, to this episode of the Data Unlock podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Simon Data, please visit, visit us on the web at simondata.com or email us at hello at simondata. You've been listening to The Data Unlocked. You can listen to more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Simon Data. We help marketers unlock their customer data to deliver a better customer experience at scale.